Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, September 18th, 2022, from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I'm going to be in the book of John in chapter 10. If you'd like to follow along, if not, no big deal. I'll be reading it. Over the the weeks of this fall, I wanted to look at um, some a really curious and cool thing that happens in the Gospel of John. Specifically, there are seven places where Jesus says the words, I am, and then tells us something about himself, this little word picture to say who he is. Specifically, John put these in because he said the whole reason he wrote the Gospel of John was so that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. In other words, he's like, I wrote this book so that you would just put all your eggs in one basket, just throw your life into the hands of Jesus. That's what I want you to do. And it's like, well, if I'm gonna do that, then I need to see some identification. If I'm gonna give you my whole life, like, who goes there? Like, I need to see your passport or something. And so we're looking at these, the seven passports of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We already read, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. We're going to move on to chapter 10 today. But before we get there, I have a question for you. And this is not a, I want you to answer it out loud question. This is for you to think about. And just kind of stew on this a little bit as we move throughout this morning. Okay, my question is, if somebody made you define right now what life is, what it really means to live, what is life, how would you define it? One reason I don't want to ask you to answer that out loud is because we have so many people in here. There should be a lot of different answers to that. I don't think there is necessarily one right answer. How would you define what it means to be alive, what life is? And that feels real philosophical out there. So let me bring it down a little bit more. This is still just kind of a think about it thing. But for you, specifically you, when do you feel really alive? What is it that you do or that you experience that makes you personally feel really alive? And and understand when I ask you that, I don't have any judgment on what that is. Okay. So like, don't feel like it has to be a Sunday school answer. Like when I'm reading the scriptures, it's like, fine, I guess. But maybe that's not you. Maybe like, maybe you feel really alive when you change the brakes on somebody else's car for them because they don't know how to do that. Or maybe you feel really alive when you are baking something or when you're just watching the British baking show. I don't know. Like, when do you feel really alive? You're fishing on the Clinch River or you're just, or you're cheering on the Vols. I have no judgment over any of it. I just mean like, when do you know like, okay, my my heart rate goes up. There's a little spring in my step. Maybe a tear in my eye. How do you know when you're really alive? Do you know? And then here's the last little thing to chew on is whatever that thing is. And again, I have no judgment, whatever it is, whenever you feel really alive, do you know what the life piece of that is? What is the thing about that that is real life, that's really living? Okay, enough philosophy. I'm gonna ask another question. And this one, I just want you to answer. If you've experienced this, I want other people in the room to know they're not alone. And especially, I would like to know that I'm also not alone. So here goes. Have you ever felt ripped off? Anybody? I got a little, mm, some of y'all have not been ripped off before. Okay. I expected a little more reaction on that one. Just TBH. Have you ever felt like somebody made you a promise and they did not come through on that thing? Like maybe you have internet provided by Xfinity. I mean, I don't know. Okay, now that's a little bit more. 
Maybe three or four years ago, you tried keto. I, I don't know. Or maybe you have homeowner's insurance. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you've been ripped off. People like somebody, somebody or something said a thing. They made a promise. They did not come through on that thing. That is a huge part of our experience. And we're going to dig into some of those things today. I'm going to read something from John chapter 10. Before I do, I want to point out a very, not very odd thing, which is John chapter 10 comes directly after John chapter 9. Um, now, the reason I bring that up is... When John wrote this book, there were no chapter divisions or verse divisions. There was no such thing as John 3.16. I mean, the verse, the words are in there, but nobody would have referenced John 3.16 for hundreds of years. We didn't have verses in the Bible until the 1600s. So 1,600 years after John wrote the words that we call John 3.16, somebody made a reference to John 3.16. I tell you that because... When people like the OGs, like the, the original people that got the Gospel of John sent to them, they, would, they didn't like read it episodically. Like, today I read chapter 4. Tomorrow I will read chapter 5 with my coffee. Like, they didn't do it that way. They binged it. They just watched the whole thing at once. So when they would read chapter 9, they go straight into chapter 10. Okay, the way most of us watch Stranger Things. You just take the whole season in at once. I'm not going to break this up. Like, okay, so... Um, what happens in John chapter 9 is Jesus heals a man who was born blind. It's one of the most astounding miracles of Jesus. Because it's not just that he fixed the mechanism of this guy's eyes. Because this dude had never seen anything. Which means that Jesus had to fix the mechanism of his eye. And he also had to, inside the guy's brain, and like, like he had to establish neural pathways that had never been developed at all. So like depth perception and colors and, and make his brain be able to interpret and understand that information. This was one of the most incredible things Jesus ever did. And by the way, if you remember, he did it by spitting on the ground, making some mud, slapping it on the guy's face, on his eyes, on his eye sockets, and then saying, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And in the midst of all of that, as he's washing away, neural pathways are being established that never were developed. For however many years this guy had been alive. And boom, all of a sudden he knows colors and he knows the reason that that guy over there appears really small and this guy appears the same size as me. And the, all of it, he understood all of it. And the, the problem was that Jesus healed the guy on Saturday. It was a Sabbath. And Jesus, which like sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, it's like, did Jesus only heal people on Saturdays? Like, is, what is, but I think, I, I, I don't know, but one thing John tells us is if I wrote down everything Jesus did, the world would not be able to contain the books. So the ones I've chosen are because I want to point out certain things. And I think he wanted to bring us into these conversations that ensued because Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and really upset these dudes. Um, because he made some mud, they were like, you know, when you spat on the ground there and you made that mud, that was basically plowing and that's like farming and you can't farm on Saturdays. So like now we want to kill you. And that's like, I'm not even reading in between the lines. That's just what they, they literally were like, okay, now it's on. Let's kill him. And so they started plotting how to kill Jesus. They go to the guy and they're like, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. And so they're like, you don't know? And he's like, no. So then they go and question his parents. And his parents are like, please leave us out of this. We know it's our kid, but we don't want to be in trouble. And then in the, in the meantime, the guy went and found out it was Jesus. And he was like, it was Jesus. And they're like, we knew it. You know? And so then... So then they're talking to him and he's like, why do you want so much information? Do you want to follow him too? And they were so offended that they kicked him out of the synagogue. Now, that doesn't just mean like you can't go to church. The synagogue was 
That's, this was like the center of their whole social community, everything. They were kicking him out of community gatherings. Like, you're out. You don't have any friends anymore. You don't get to go to parties. You don't get to go to anything. You're out. You're an outcast. One of the sweetest things that happens in the entire canon of scripture, Jesus went and found the guy. And he said, they kicked you out? And he's like, uh-huh. And he said, I'm bringing you in. I'm bringing you into a new family. You're with me now, kid. And so he brings him in. Now, these guys find out about that. They're like, wait, why are, why are you bringing him in? All of a sudden, they're in this backyard brawl of words. That's John chapter 9. That's exactly where John chapter 10 picks up. Okay, here we go. I got my large print edition. We're ready to go. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to these guys. He's, they're upset with him. He's, uh, he's handling it. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Okay. So a couple of things real quick. In like hundreds and hundreds of times in scripture, God's people are called sheep, which like, you know, I, I, if you know sheep, then you know, is it like, why would God compare us to sheep? Well, they're really dumb. Okay. Well, it's not very flattering. They don't have any defense mechanisms. You know, they don't have like venom and wings and stuff like that. Like they, like sheep, which that would be really weird. There was like a winged venomous sheep. I just pictured it. I mean, think about this, though, just like a really, that'd be something. Anyway, they don't have anything like that. They can barely like move sometimes. Some of them, if you sneak up on them, they will literally flip over on their back and just shake. They're pitiful. Like it's, that's a real true thing. That's a, they're called fainting sheep and fainting goats. It's a real thing. My old football coach used to find them and go sneak up on them in fields and just like go run and scare them just so he could see them flip over on their back and just, and I'm like, that's like a PETA violation or something like that. Anyway, so sheep have to have a shepherd and they have to have a flock. They can't take care of themselves. They don't know how to feed themselves. They can't protect themselves. So they need community and they need, and they need a leader. Now we're getting the picture of why God compares us to sheep so much. We got to have a shepherd and we got to have some community. We got to have a flock. We got to have a wall to live behind the whole thing. We got to have some protection. We got to have help. Okay, so... God, whoever was leading God's people, if that was the king or the prophet or whoever, they were the shepherd. And then the Old Testament is littered with false prophets, these people who were lying to the, to the sheep. And those folks, those were like, like the shepherd is going to, the shepherd's going to feed the sheep. The shepherd's going to care for the sheep. The shepherd's going to protect the sheep. Well, the, the false prophets, they would come in to like steal the sheep. They'd come in to harm the sheep or to even eat the sheep. And so Jesus is kind of comparing these Pharisees to the old school, Old Testament, false prophets. But look, this, this figure of speech that he was using, it was deep and it was thick and there were a lot of characters. Like he was like, you know, there's the thieves and the robbers and then there's the sheep and there's the sheep pen and then there's the gate and then there's the gatekeeper and then there's the shepherd. And literally the Pharisees, their heads are spinning. They're just like, did you understand what he, I don't know. And their jaws are on the ground, they're scratching their heads. And John tells us they just didn't get it. So this is verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. So Jesus is like looking at these guys, and they're all like, huh? And he's like, okay, I'm going to boil this down for you. 
I'm gonna, we're, every, everybody, focus fox. We're going to bring this down, okay? I don't know if I did the focus fox right. Is it, I, I'm not an elementary teacher. But it's a genius thing, okay? I'm just saying I need to learn the, anyway. So Jesus brings it down. I'm going to boil this down for you. Right, is everybody ready? And this is verse 7 of John chapter 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. This is his passport. This is photo identification. John says, I want you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and give your whole life to him. Well, why? Who are you? Show me some ID. I am the gate for the sheep. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, I am the gate, Jesus said. There's one way in. I am the gate for the sheep. Anybody that comes through me will be saved. So what is he saying? First of all, obviously, definitely, he is saying that there's only one way to be saved. And by the way, if you've been sitting there quietly in church... Um, and you've been saving your amen, I'm going to throw a softball, okay? So just get it ready, okay? If you've been waiting for a moment to praise the Lord in this message, here it comes. None of us can save ourselves. That's it. You have not done enough. You are not good enough. I am not accomplished enough, holy enough. I cannot clean this mess up. By the way, I'm not even that motivated to. Like all the stupid stuff that got me unsaved, it's like, still seems like a really good idea sometimes. I don't know what to tell you. Like, we are not it. There is one way to get saved, and that is God himself would have to come down here and, yes, show us who God is, show us the heart of the Father and all that stuff, but primarily to give himself to die for us in our place, to take all the punishment we deserve and to pay for it so that you never have to pay for any of your sins yourself. Amen? If you're going to be saved, he came to save you. He gave his life, and all you have to do is say, I would like that, please. I would like the forgiveness and the heaven and all the righteousness for free thing. That sounds like a really good idea. You would be right. That's why he came, to save you. He's the gate. But he doesn't stop there. This is not just about heaven. Jesus isn't just saying, you should throw your lot in with me because I'm the gate. I'm the only way to get saved. So, like, you know, if you don't want to go to hell... Well, you know, you should come in with me. It's like, it's a convincing argument, but I'd like some more, please. So he gives you more. He says, I'm the gate of the sheep. The sheep can go in and out through me and find pasture, everything that they need. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's more than just being saved. I actually came to give you something now, some life and have it to the full. Uh, most of you guys know the New Testament wasn't written in the English language. It was, you know, way before English was invented. It was written in the Greek language. And the word that we've translated to the full, some of your versions might say, um, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That word is a really, really cool word. Um, it's, it's actually, well, so some, most of the time in the New Testament, it's, it's used like almost 30 times. Most of the times in the New Testament, it's translated more. So in some ways, Jesus is just saying, like, I came that you might have life and have more of it. Like, more life than you were expecting. More life than the people that you know. Like, more life. That's really good. One place in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that, that exact same word, 
We have, we have translated further. Paul said, I could go further and boast about all the things I've done and all the things I've been through. So let's put that in there. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it further. Like you just go further than other people go in whatever life is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the very next chapter, that same word is translated superfluous. Like it's so much it's like, this is more than you need. Paul said, it would be superfluous for me to go on explaining this thing and that thing. You don't even need it. We've already done enough. And Jesus said, I came that you may have life. And you would have so much of it that you would have more than you need. It's just superfluous. More, further, superfluous. There's a place in Mark chapter 6 where that same word is translated more important. He said, there's something more important than the, than the law and the prophets. Um, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life that's more important than other people know what life is. That original word in the, in, in the original language, it's cool. It's a compound word, which I love compound words. It's just a little nerdy aside by me. Okay, if you be, indulge me for a second. I love compound words. I think they're so cool. Like you take two normal words and you smush them together and they make something so much cooler. You know, like race car. Like races are cool. Cars can be cool or they can suck. And then you put them together like a race car. It's like every, every little kid's dream is like, this is amazing. A race car is amazing. Or like Sunday, the sun is cool. Days are cool. But Sunday, it's like, I get to worship with all my friends. And I'm probably going to eat some guy loco. And then I'm going to take a big fat nap. We're going to watch the NFL. This is great. That's a great word. Or flamethrower. You don't have to explain that one. Compound words are cool. So this word, it takes the, it takes the Greek word for uh, exceeding or excessive or beyond. And it smashes it together with a word that sometimes means vehement. Sometimes it even means violent. Jesus said, I came not just to save you, not just for heaven. I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the only way to be saved. But I'm also the only way to find the kind of life that is vehemently beyond any other kind of thing that people are experiencing. Violently excessive. Like, to have a totally different kind of life, it's more, it's further, it's superfluous, it's more important, it's vehemently beyond. It's violently excessive. Do you know what life is? How would you define it? Do you know when you're alive? Whatever that thing is, do you know what the life piece is? By the way, do you know what it feels like to get ripped off? Have you ever had the kind of experience where you thought, I was gonna, I knew it, I knew I was gonna find some life here, and you walked away from that thing feeling numb and dead and empty? I'm gonna try that again. Have you ever walked into an experience you thought was going to give you so much life and you thought you were going to be happy and full and you experienced that thing and it ripped you off and you felt empty and numb and dull? Anybody? Yes. This is a thing that happens. There's so many things that people are promising. This is going to be it. This is going to be the thing. And you're going to have it. And it's going to make you so happy. And, you know, whatever it is. I've got to get this promotion because of this respect. And family is everything. And then, you know, you go to Thanksgiving and you're like, family? I don't know if it's really what I thought they were saying that was going to be. It's really weird. I think we look for life in a lot of places that rob us blind. And it would do us good to start trying to figure out, do I know when I'm alive? And do I know when I'm numb and empty and dead? Do I even know? What gives me life and fullness and energy and all that stuff? What gives me 
uh, you know, just a, a skip in my heartbeat, a spring in my step, a tear in my eye. What gives me life and what makes me numb? I'll tell you one thing. Jesus had it. I mean, he had it. Everywhere he went, he's surrounded by people. Either people that are upset with him because they're jealous of him, we find out. That's a rich, that, in the end, that's why they killed him. They were envious of him. They killed him because of envy, the scripture says. Or people just flocking to him, fawning on him. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. One time, they, spent, they sent trained, seasoned soldiers to arrest this man. And then they just walked back, bedazed with empty handcuffs. And they're like, where is he? And they're like, you never heard him talk, did you? He's unbelievable. Like, he didn't, nobody speaks like this guy. He's dancing at, at weddings. He's dancing and singing at parties. He's crying at funerals. He was full of life. And you know what's super duper interesting? All the stuff that we have been sold our whole life is going to bring us life and fullness and happiness and all of it. Jesus didn't have one bit of it. He didn't have one dollar. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any property. He didn't have nice clothes. He didn't have a car. It's going to be weird for some of y'all, but he didn't have sex. He didn't have a beautiful marriage. He didn't have any children. Didn't own a car, didn't own a house, didn't have nice stuff, didn't have any of it. He did not have a successful career. He didn't. You know what else he didn't have? He didn't have security or safety. Almighty God let himself be slapped in the face. He let himself be mocked. He let himself die. It's incalculable. It's unbelievable. All the things that we've been sold our whole life, this is the gate. This is where you're going to find life. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. He didn't have any of it. And listen, that's not me telling you you shouldn't go for the promotion at work or you shouldn't have the money that you have. I think it's great. It's not me saying that you shouldn't love your family and your kids and work on your marriage and all of it. What I'm telling you is the guy that had the most life didn't have any of it. Any of it. Didn't have the successful career, didn't have a lot of sex, didn't have, didn't, didn't have the money, didn't have any of it. I'm not saying that stuff's not good. What I am saying is you're not going to find abundant life there. What if you have all of those things that God has given you, a great job, a nice house, and you have a lovely marriage that you're working on, you got kids that you're trying to figure out, you know, whatever. But like, but within that, where is the gate for life? Where is life and where am I alive? Okay, Jesus said, I'm the gate. He did, by the way, if you kept binging the Gospel of John, if you just kept scooting right on through, you'd find in a few chapters over this place where you are invited into this intimate prayer between Jesus and God the Father. And one of the things he says is, this is age-abiding life. And you're like, wait a minute, what's, what's he about to say? And if some of you already know it, because you you've been reading John 17 your whole life, and you, 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 you did great in Bible drill, and that's awesome. But for any of you that don't know it, just take a break, pause, and just you know, put your thumb over the verse. What is he going to say next? What is it? This is age-abiding life. This is eternal life. What is it going to be? What's he going to say? Like two hours of Bible study every day, like worship and praise music on your car radio. What's he going to, like, what is he going to say? He says, this is, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's a relationship. It's walking out today with him, tomorrow, turning towards him, filling your day with him, going through this one gate. Now, here's what I think this means for us this week. This is what I've been thinking about all week. What am I asking you to do? Where are we going to go with this? Here's where we're going to go. 
I want you to live your life tomorrow, and I want you to take a break every now and then and ask yourself the question, am I dull? Am I empty? Am I numb? Do I know where? Do I know what caused it? Do I know what preceded that? Have I had any moments where I felt alive, where I felt that, just that elevated heart rate, that spring in my step, that tear in my eye? Do I know when I'm dead and do I know when I'm alive? And Lord, when I am alive, when I do feel it, am I at the gate? When I am dead and when I am numb, what gate was I knocking on? Do I know what I'm asking to give me life? I want to read something real quick. I never really do this in these messages, but um, there was a guy that passed away about six weeks ago who I really loved. Um, he was an author. He wrote a lot of books and um, some novels and some essays and some sermons and stuff like that. A guy named Fred Beekner. And uh, he, he died at 96 um, a, a few weeks ago. And I just love the way he put words together. And he wrote this one book one time where he just, he had a bunch of little paragraphs about a bunch of different kinds of themes and words. And this one is about tears, like the tears you cry. Okay. Tears. You never know what may cause them. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it. Or a piece of music. Or a face you've never seen before. A pair of somebody's old shoes can do it. Almost any movie made before the great sadness that came over the world after the Second World War. A horse cantering across a meadow. The high school basketball team running out onto the gym floor at the start of a game. You can never be sure, but of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from. And he's summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go to next. Where am I dead? Where am I alive? What gate am I knocking on? Let's dig into that a little bit more this week. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these words. You're the gate. The only gate to be saved. The only gate to life. Help us to figure it out. Help us to learn more about ourselves. Help us to be more humble, more honest, and more in search of what you're calling us to, what's numbing us, what's emptying us out, what's filling us up. We are grateful that you want to walk with us and that you want to be in this relationship. We want it to help us to dive into it in this week. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus is a mighty Savior. Helpless souls here have a He has borne their misbehavior And His mercy knows no end Oh, ye helpless come And on His grace depend Save your souls from ruin Shed his blood upon the tree Oh, ye needy haste unto him His 
salvation's full and free salvation see yes the very worst of sinners who upon his grace rely shall of endless bliss be winners And shall sing beyond the sky Songs of praises to The Lamb that once did die